Welcome to Digital Marketing Musings. Each episode, we choose a different expert to discuss the latest and greatest in digital marketing. Today, Island Wheeldryer is joining us again to discuss the impacts of a cookie-less future on different channels and industries, and to learn what advertisers can do to prepare. This is the second episode of a multi-part series, so please be sure to go back and listen to part one to get a lay of the land. I'm Gaia Reed, And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Marketing Musings. Today we're joined by our cookie expert, Island Wheeldryer, who is going to give us insight into the cookie list feature and what that means for advertisers. Island has been with Merkel since 2015 and is an associate director of performance media. He's worked with clients in B2B, entertainment, retail, financial services, and nonprofit, so his experience really runs the gamut. Welcome back to the show, Island. Thank you. Nice to be back. So, Island, I know when you last joined us, you had a, a caveat that you wanted to share. Do you want to uh, include the disclaimer again for everyone? Sure. So, uh, this topic is very hot in the industry. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns. A lot of what we're discussing today might be correct today. It might be incorrect tomorrow. Um, we do expect a lot of change over the next year, year and a half, um, with all of these updates and changes to policy, changes to tech. Um, so it'll be good for listeners to keep that in mind just because uh, you'll want to take that into account. Sounds like you're going to be a guest uh, a few times as we have more updates that roll through <laughs> as all this happens. That's right. I'd be I'd be happy to come back and let you know what's going on. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Um, so what industries or verticals are we expecting to be most impacted by the cookie-less future? So uh, it's probably going to be pretty, pretty equal. Uh, the tech changes that are going to be occurring are going to affect everyone. Um, there, there might be certain tactics that are less affected than others. There might be partners that, um, uh, and advertisers running that might be less affected than others. Um, but pretty much all advertisers are going to be affected equally. Um, it again will depend on their portfolio, what they have running, what channels they're running and how they're affected. Cool. And I know we've mentioned like, uh, advertisers that have higher ticket items may be more impacted versus ones that are lower ticket items, um, B2V versus B2C, all of those sorts of things as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's the possibility that longer, you know, it's, it's hard to say at this point, some of the cookie preservation that would have been in place for long consideration windows, um, maybe that will be more and more impacted like a, a long B2B consideration window, um, and, it, and it might affect retail less. However, the the actual changes themselves are going to be to the third-party cookies not being able to be retained. So whether that's one day or 90 days, um, it quite possibly could have no difference. At this point, uh, knowing what we know, what should advertisers be doing to prepare? And we definitely realize this is like the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so I would, I would say the same caveat as before. I won't say the entire thing, but people are very anxious. They don't know what's happening um, or they don't know what to expect. And that is pretty universal across the entire industry. Um, 
with these sorts of things, these sorts of large policy changes, it is it is good on Google's part to announce these things way ahead of time. Um, we don't like sudden, unexpected changes that impact us immediately. Um, and the good news here is that this will not be impacting us immediately. Uh, the soonest that we've heard this will occur is early 2022. Um, but with something this large, we very well could expect it to be pushed back later in the year, possibly. Um, the other good thing to keep in mind with all of these sorts of projects is that within something like Google or even within something like Facebook, there are a couple different teams, a few different teams, right? There's uh, the Chrome team for Google. There's an entire collection of teams that work on the marketing platform side. And so they're not always in lockstep, I would say, or always completely aware of what one hand is doing and how the other hand will need to work. And that's not saying they're you know, completely disjointed and, and not communicating to each other. But when we talk about these sort of um, ideas or philosophical shifts in how we're going to do things, uh, one side could say, this is how we need to, to do this. And here, I'll pass it off to you. Now you figure out how to do it. And that process can take quite a long time. So with something like this, where a lot of things are still being figured out, things need to be developed, launched, ironed out, we could very well see this entire process take more than a year. So early 2022 being the earliest that we would expect, and whatever early means, January to March, somewhere in there. Um, and that would pro probably be the very earliest we would expect. If we were to, to make some sort of educated guess, we'd probably say later in 2022, but that's very hard to say at this point. So what to do? Well, uh, everyone, wants to, everyone wants to know what is going to happen to the tactics I'm running right now. Is remarketing still going to work? Is prospecting still going to work? Are dynamic ads still going to work? All of these questions. And the simple and most truthful answer is there will be something available, but we truly don't know the impact yet. And no one knows the impact. A lot of these things are still being developed. Um, and we can't know the impacts of the new tactics until they're rolled out and tested. You mean you don't have a crystal ball? That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, we can make pretty good assumptions on some things. Um, and there are actually some things that we can state for certain aren't going to be impact, which I'll get to here in a second. But um, that is what people need to remember. They need to uh, stay tuned. They need to remain aware of updates. They need to not overreact with every update because um, it very well could be changed the next month. So taking um, news with a certain amount of good measure and knowing how that's going to be an option for your program to either consider or not consider, those are the things that people are going to do over the next 9 to 12 months, uh, testing out all of these different options and understanding what works best for their program. Um, so some things. Uh, recently, in, in earlier in March, um, Google released a couple of updates. Uh, this is where uh, Flock and Fledge really got uh, boosted in awareness to most people in the industry where um, a lot of times advertisers may have not been really paying attention to exactly what these proposals were. I was to say, can I pause you there and just yep. kind of give a quick definition of what both Flock and Fledge are? Right. So Flock and Fledge are, there's, there's a 
there's a couple different things that are happening. So there's this thing you might have heard about called the privacy sandbox. And what that really is, is just a collection of um, integrations or APIs that would allow for um, privacy compliant exchange of data in some way. Just ways that data can be used, but in a privacy compliant way. Um, and uh, Flock and Fledge are based pretty much on anonymization through cohorts. So um, taking individual behavior and grouping those individuals so that you can't, so that it becomes privacy compliant, essentially. Um, and then between the two, Flock is more geared toward like interest or behavioral, so you can probably think prospecting. Fledge is geared more toward how can we build audiences specifically for an advertiser, so you'd think of that more along the lines of Fledge. And you look at the partners who have gone back and forth in these um, open proposals, and you can align those pretty well to those tactics. So the, the folks who have done a lot of the um, back and forth on Fledge have been like your Critios, your RTBs, your marketing your marketing platforms. Um, and so that's probably how those are going to work. The exact technical details of how they're going to build these cohorts, how they're going to put them together, how the targeting and the measurement will work for those, um, that's all yet to be seen. But that's basically how that's going to work. And the Privacy Sandbox, Flock and Fledge, these aren't you know, exclusive or owned by Google. These are things that um, are going to be available to others. That also um, will, that is also true of, if you've heard of UID, which is something that's being headed up by Trade Desk, but is also open uh, to everyone, which is just another alternative identifier. I can get to that later. But that is what Flock and Fledge are. So um, the, that's the, the big announcement that Google made earlier in March. What that means for advertisers, again, again, we don't know yet to be, to be sure. In Q2, they're supposed to roll some of these things out and start testing, um, and then we'll, we'll have a better idea of the impact. In their initial tests, in their closed test, they found that things like the flock audiences performed at about 95% of the efficiency of um, the same uh, models built on third-party cookies, so they think it's going to be pretty good. Um, so that's encouraging news, but yet we don't know the, the full impact at this point. Um, any questions on that? before I move into other stuff. It, it seems like the, the biggest concern is the impact on remarketing lists. So mm -hmm. if everything goes uh, according to plan with these, with these new uh, evolutions like Flock coming out, is there as much concern about uh, diminishing volume of remarketing lists? Uh, potentially. Um, so again, we don't know the the how effective all of this will be. Um, something else that we are somewhat confident, but again, we don't know the answer, something like a Google where, well, they're supposed to be classified as first-party cookies. So if they are first-party cookies and someone's using a global site tag and the cookie is read as a first-party cookie and is retained as a first-party cookie, the same um, percentage of users will be retained as they are now. However, again, things could change. So that's sort of how the remarketing landscape is going to go. Again, you could start to um, use other CRM-based things that if you want to 
go slightly further from remarketing into like reacquisition, retention, nurturing, um, those sorts of things based on identity, if you use an identity partner, those will be retained also. So as far as remarketing is concerned, same answer. Um, the, the effectiveness of it, there might be some impact. There will be some sort of solution. Remarketing will not go away. Um, it might look slightly different. They might go about that technology slightly differently, but there will still be something available. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about um, the impact on on why uh, advertisers and clients might want to focus more on first party data and CRM lists? Um, that seems to be the the other piece of this that uh, a lot of, a lot of advice in the industry is uh, pushing pushing advertisers in that direction. Yep. So you'll want to build out um, if you're not already, you'll want to start building out or considering a first um, a, a private identity graph. And basically what you're trying to do is accumulate as much uh, first party and persistent data as possible. So what that means is uh, things like first name, last name, email, telephone number, those things are very unlikely to change. Um, and if you can connect those in a private identity graph to other ID identifiers, IDs, um, then you're going to be in a much better position. So you'll want to start collecting or harvesting that. Um, if you aren't already. And that might be something like when you go to your um, advertiser's homepage, a uh, 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 box pops up and it says, uh, get 10% off your first order by signing up for a newsletter. And you submit your email, um, you consent, and they collect that first party data. Um, so that's probably what those sorts of things are going to look like. Um, and those would be good to get in the works sooner than later. Uh, again, the reason being that is going to be more persistent than relying on third-party cookies alone. Gaia, I know when we were preparing offline for, for this episode, you had a couple examples that you really liked. One with a shared client of ours, and then another I think was, um, I think CVS as a as an example. Yeah, I had heard the example of, um, you know, CVS ha is well known in the industry for their CRM uh, database and, and the way that they use their data. And they do a really great job of collecting data and incentivizing uh, customers to sign up for their loyalty program and to kind of like check in with it. So um, when you go to uh, buy something at CVS, you scan your loyalty card and you get the infinitely long receipt when you purchase something. Um, and yeah. the, the reason that you're incentivized to, to even scan the loyalty card is because the receipt has so many coupons that are really tailored to, to you and your purchase history yeah. that they're trying to like give you, yeah. give you value back. Um, what we're really talking about, it seems like, is when you go onto an online website and you're trying to kind of duplicate that experience of um, getting someone maybe not waiting until they actually order, like you go into CVS and you shop around and then you order and you, you scan your card. But it sounds like we're talking about um, kind of like as soon as you get onto the website, logging in yeah. um, and trying to uh, get that identification of someone who's just sh shopping on the site uh, initially or uh, browsing for the first time, just signing up for an account. Um, yeah. And on a client of, of ours, I saw a really great example of this where they redid their loyalty program 
and it used to be your, your normal points-based uh, offer that just kind of accumulated over time. And when you went to log out, sometimes there would be some sort of offer for you. Um, but often you, you didn't really have an incentive to like log in right when you got onto the site. But they redid it so that um, if you go and you log into your account as soon as you hit, it, hit the site, you see offers immediately waiting for you. So $10 off over 50 or uh, just for you, you got $15 off your next order and they're personalized offers. So they're not just your site-wide offers yeah. that you see on the banner. And in my personal experience of, of shopping on the site, it definitely, it definitely incentivizes me now every time that I go back to just check, is there something waiting for me that they didn't necessarily email me about or, um, send me a push notification, but, um, I, I just want to check and see if there's something waiting. And that definitely incentivizes me to, every time I visit the site, go ahead and, and log into my account. Yeah, definitely a good ex uh, customer experience. And I know we talk a bit more about loyalty in an upcoming episode. So definitely more to come from that perspective as well. So Island, do you have an, a sense of like what programs will be unaffected by this change? It sounds like remarketing could be affected, but what what are we expecting to kind of stay the same or be the safe havens for marketers? So I'll I'll try to run through some other things quickly <laughs> because each of these can okay. can uh, uh, spin off in many directions. So some of the other things that um, advertisers will look to use. Um, so we, we already talked about first party data, very important. Um, second party data partnerships. So, um, for example, if you're an airline, um, you'd probably look to partner with something like a hotel chain or a car rental. Um, just sharing that data, uh, sharing your mutual first party, therefore becoming second party data um, right. to gain that advantage. Um, things like site contextual. So, for example, if you're whatever, whatever sites might be relevant to your advertiser. If you're a student loan um, advertiser, it's going to be important for you to um, advertise on things where upcoming uh, college freshmen are going to be um, looking for information, whatever that might be. Um, right. If you're a pet owner, you're going to be on um, pet owner sites, things like that. Um, and those don't rely on cookies. Those are just merely, we know that pet owners are coming to these sites. So you're going to want to advertise on them. Um, walled gardens, Facebook and Google as examples, uh, where you know the people you're targeting are logged in and therefore are confirmed as the identity that you expect them to be. They're the person you expect them to be. Um, measurement. So measurement is a tricky one because people are going to have to get comfortable with more model data. Um, a lot of platforms are already incorporating model data into their reporting. It's only going to become more prevalent, and that's not going to that's not going to revert. Um, so, so advertisers are just going to, out of out of necessity, going to have to become more comfortable with model data. Uh, meaning, most often, um, a platform or a tech uh, will look at actual conversions on site um, and then look 
at all of the touches, the impressions they know they served, and make some assumptions about, even though we cannot um, deterministly track via a cookie this exposure to this conversion, we can make a fair amount of assumptions and we're going to count it as a conversion related to this exposure. Um, something that will not change, uh, and it's not necessarily new. Uh, there's like the concept of uh, what's old is new again with this um, situation. This isn't necessarily new. They've been doing this for a long time. Uh, MMM, media mix modeling, um, that is still going to work. And in fact, it's going to work just as well as it did before. And so it's a very good solution for advertisers. Uh, the reason it works is because, again, it doesn't rely on cookies. It only relies on input-output. So where did you spend your dollars? Where did you serve impressions? Um, and then on the back end, what was the, the output? What were the uh, advertiser revenue that's that's been seen that quarter or that, that year? Um, so MMM is a good thing to look at. Um, let's see if I jotted down anything else that might be good. Oh, I had mentioned um, previously these alternative ID resolution partners. So Google has also recently, after they after they came out with their announcements about Flock and Fledge and all this other stuff, um, they had said that their, their Google marketing platforms weren't going to participate in an alternative ID that replaces the cookie um, as far as like open exchange and all that. Um, but there are other uh, vendors out there who are working on these. The, probably the most prominent is the one headed up by Trade Desk, the Universal ID 2.0, and or Unified ID 2.0. Don't remember which one it is. I think it's Unified. Um, and what that basically will do, along with a lot of these alternative IDs, is it will do something like encrypt or hash um, an email. And that's how they convert it into... IDs that are passed back and forth. And uh, Google announced that Chrome, for the time being, um, is not going to um, prevent those from working. So this is where we get into the um, area where you really want to take a look at your existing platforms that you partner with, um, all the existing tactics you have, and go to them and say, what is your plan for when Chrome deprecates third-party cookies? What are you working on? Um, some of them are farther along than others, uh, further along than others, um, but everybody is working on something. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of these are actively involved in the fledge proposals. Um, a lot of these are actively involved in UID, have already signed up and are partnered. Um, so that's where you want to understand what the options are and then begin to sort of estimate what the impact is. Um, and you'll do that through testing um, different updates and releases that come through the next nine to 12 months. And I know you uh, briefly mentioned about modeled conversion behavior. Uh, we've definitely heard mm -hmm. on the Google Analytics side about the, the GA4 announcement for, for rolling out kind of a solution there for um, modeled conversion behavior. It sounds like regardless of what attribution partner uh, advertisers are using, they should go and uh, similarly confirm what the plans are for for them rolling that out. Yep. So I know we've mentioned a bit about identity resolution partners. Can you go into what that is and how we would use them and why they're important as it relates to the cookie list feature? Sure. Um, so 
you're trying to push an audience and that audience needs to go from one place to another, from the DSP to the SSP to the pub. Um, and uh, where in the past, third-party cookies went through this process of cookie syncing, uh, something's going to need to replace that. Uh, because if the browser interprets it as a third-party cookie, it will no longer no longer be usable. Um, and so that's where these encrypted IDs, hashed emails, things like that, um, are not interpreted as third-party cookies and therefore can be used. Um, so that's what we talk about when we talk about identity resolution. Um, there's other things where you could say identity resolution also equates to um, observing a user across the web and um, through a series of um, uh, first-party cookie and other uh, tiebacks, you can attach that to an actual PII record, which is great. Um, that gets back to some of the stuff I talked about at the top of the options with first-party data. That first-party data isn't going to change. And so if you're sitting right. on that private identity graph and you're able to continually push out um, these audiences for John Doe, Jane Doe, um, to the pubs, you're going to be good to go. Um, and any sort of future changes are much less likely to impact you because you're sitting on IDs that, that don't change, identifiers that don't change. Are there any final tips or main takeaways for businesses and advertisers at this point, knowing what we know, um, to investigate? <laughs> I would say the number one tip is to, <laughs> I guess, stay calm and um, stay tuned and be prepared to <laughs> deal with a lot of uncertainty. Um, no one is alone in this uh, and we'll all get through it. Um, we'll find a way. The, the thing to keep in mind is, um, and this is sort of where you can, again, think about MMM. If you don't rely on the cookie, there's gonna be in some, some impact Sorry, if you were relying on a cookie and you look to some alternative, um, a third-party cookie and look to some alternative, there's going to be some impact on your ability to target. Um, in some ways, it's going to get worse. There's going to be some sort of impact. How big that is, we don't know yet. It could be as little as 5%. Maybe it's going to be 30%. Um, but then we look at um, other situations where if you begin, it's going to be... Um, uh, uh, a pleasant result possibly if you begin to emphasize more on first-party data and your results are actually better you could actually see better performance in, in some situations um, in some tactics in the future so that's really where um, as far as targeting is concerned it's hard to say exactly what's going to happen at this point as far as um, measuring same deal but the thing is is digital is not going away um, there's going to be digital advertising. There are going to be methods for doing digital advertising, whether it be prospecting, remarketing, uh, direct buys, any number of the things that we've already been able to do up until now, we will continue to be able to do them. Um, it may look different, um, and we'll find out over the next year, two years, three years, five years, what that looks like, um, but we will be able to do it. So uh, remaining flexible, remaining... Um, um, nimble um, will be the key to success. I think a lot of the, the things that we heard throughout this episode, if, if I were to summarize, um, leaning in to first party data sets uh, and trying to actively collect them, 
um, and, and with that, incentivizing site browsers to provide you with more more data on site more quickly. Um, begin talking to attribution partners about what they're doing, particularly around any like modeled behavior. Um, and identity resolution partners, making sure that you uh, understand if, if you're going to move forward with testing into one or um, better, better utilizing one if you already have an identity resolution partner. Um, any final takeaways in terms of what individual channels could be, could be um, doing uh, to help uh, in preparing for this change or uh, specific impacts? Um, I think we pretty well covered it. You know, display is going to be impacted more than search, uh, just because the nature of it, you're going out to the, to the wide web, the open exchange, and you're trying to find people you're not, um, sitting on a SERP and waiting for them to come to you. Um, and then that relationship is much more direct, um, and it isn't reliant on view through. Um, there's going to be other channels that that benefit from some of these things. So again, if you improve your first party data, you're going to be able to do stuff like build out better email. You have uh, more robust email campaigns. You're going to be able to build out direct mail. Uh, you'll have more robust direct mail campaigns just because you sit on a larger amount of first party data. Um, so as far as the, the most impacted, it's probably going to be display. Uh, search, not so much. Um, really not email, probably not direct mail. Those last two, though, will possibly benefit um, from things like the first party, um, gathering more first party data. Great. All right. Sounds like Any that's other it. Questions? <laughs> yeah. I was saying, uh, sounds like until, that's it. For until this a month from now. <laughs> yeah. Until, until a month from now, things are radically different. But yeah. um, if, if there are changes, we'll be back and we'll, we'll talk about them. For sure. For sure. I have no doubt that you're going to be a, a regular reoccurring guest on the, uh, on the show. Anyway, I'll be happy to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and that's it for this episode of digital marketing musings. Huge thanks to our guest Island for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Stay in touch and let us know what you want to hear about next by emailing us at digital marketing musings at merkelink.com. Also stay tuned for our next episode on loyalty solutions, which is going to dovetail um, off of some of the great content that Island talked through today. Definitely. And if you haven't already hit the subscribe button, please do so and rate and review us. It helps others find us. And also please be sure to tell a friend about the show. Until next time, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.